Welcome to the Demystifying Diversity podcast, where each week we explore topics related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm Dara Lise Lyons, and I'm speaking to you today from stolen Lenape lands known as Philadelphia. And I'm Zach James, also occupying stolen Lenape lands. And this season, we're joined by another voice, a fellow producer, collaborator, and visionary. Care to introduce yourself? Yes. Hello, everyone. I'm Azaria Keys, and I'm also occupying Lenape land. Really grateful to be here for this Q&A episode of the Demystifying Diversity podcast, where we'll be speaking about remote work. Yes. So if you're listening to this Q&A episode, make sure you've checked out our episode entitled Remote Work, Finding Balance and Boundaries Between Work and Home, because we'll be digging into some of the themes from that episode, answering questions, talking about some behind the scenes moments and giving some practical tips. So you won't want to miss this. And it also builds on the information and the insights of that main remote work episode. Yeah. This episode will be really rich, and in fact, this season, by focusing on work, the hope is is that will not only positively impact people's lives on a personal level, but also on a professional level, considering that most working Americans spend about a third of our lives at work or doing work from home. So our workplace experiences have implications for all areas of our lives. And Azaria, since you were one of the driving forces behind coming up with the topics for this season, can we talk about why this particular topic? Like, why did we select remote work? Absolutely. So I think myself and Sedwick's director, Lior Eisenstadt, have been having a lot of discussions around how do you bring DEI in this new sort of hybrid workspace where you have some people working from home, you have some people remaining in the office, and then you have that hybrid experience where both are occurring. And I think specific to DEI work, it's really interesting to see how we're going to carry forward our goals and objectives of creating safer, more inclusive workspaces when the entire notion of a workspace has changed, right? Like workspace is now someone's home. It's also someone's office. So I feel like when we started on this partnership with the Demystifying Diversity podcast and, you know, thinking about sponsoring season three, There was no way we couldn't talk about remote work because it's sort of at the forefront of everything that we're doing right now. And it's also at the forefront of a lot of the minds of our advisory board members who are interested in how they are going to continue to lead their organizations in a meaningful way while being mindful of this change. So it's really important that we talk about this. And so I'm glad it's episode number one. For sure, Azaria. It's so, so vital and important. But a quick follow-up question for you and Darylise. How did you two go about selecting the guests and the voices for this episode? Yes. So with Sedwick being a center within the Fox School of Business at Temple University, we really wanted to elevate the voices of faculty members doing research in these areas for all of the episodes, right? So for remote work specifically, we looked at faculty members, and not just at Fox, throughout the Temple community, we were looking for faculty members who either directly were talking about remote work or had some sort of interesting connection to it. So looking at those who are working on AI, right? Because AI is sort of helping advance this discussion of remote work. And so that's how we sort of selected the experts and voices for this episode from the, the Temple community. Yeah, and I think it was such a beautiful collaboration because Azaria and Leora put together a list of names. And then, Zach, I know you contributed some names, and then I contributed some names. And 
we really look to sort of fill in a lot of different industries. We really tried to make sure we had racial representation, gender representation, um, various degrees of ability, various types of work, various personalities, and really tried to kind of take a holistic approach to making sure that we were representing a diverse contingent of the workforce. And one of the things that was really meaningful for me about this was that I conducted all of the interviews before sitting down to write the episodes. And so there were some voices that I thought, or we thought like, oh yeah, this person's going to talk about remote work, but then their voice will be heavily featured in something like the brain and body diversity episode that's coming out next week. And so, yeah, it was a really fun exploration of being able to go into these conversations, thinking about this is what this person has expertise in, and then realizing that maybe someone that I set out to interview about their experience of being trans, let's say, like has a really vivid experience of working from home or parenting from home. So I thought it was really fun, like being able to come up with who we thought would be an ideal demographic for people to interview and then being really surprised by the interviews and allowing them to write themselves based on the content. And speaking of that, in putting these episodes together, it can feel for me like creating a puzzle because there's always so much information and it kind of always bleeds together by the end of it for me. So I never know what's going to resonate for people, but For the two of you, what resonated for you with this specific episode on remote work? The biggest takeaway for me, and and I probably will use this term a lot throughout this season, and that's the words uh, eye-opening, because I knew how remote work changed me and, and where the difficulties were and where the benefits were. And all I really knew about other folks and their experiences during the beginning of the pandemic was what I saw on social media, folks either complaining or rejoicing. And then actually listening to the episode and getting a chance to hear how, whether it's a stay-at-home mother or someone who has uh, any sort of disability and how this changed their work environment, everything for the positive and the negative, it was really unique to kind of hear other people's perspectives and their scenarios, what they deal with and how the remote work experience affected them. So I think that was kind of the biggest thing for me is really putting my mind in the situation of somebody else and seeing how this was so life-changing. And it was great to hear that there were some folks who benefited from it, uh, who had a better way of life because of remote work, because that's definitely the experience that I had, but also was kind of heartfelt and understood the negative impact that it caused uh, for a lot of families uh, and individuals. So really getting a a glimpse into other people's worlds was what I I loved the most about this episode. And Azaria, I want to know the same from you, but before we move to that, Zach, how did remote work change you? How how was it for you? Uh, well, it saved me a lot of gas money. Uh, that was number one. But the biggest thing was, you know, I've always struggled with work-life balance. And this provided a great opportunity for me to make that better. The time that I saved in travel, the time that I saved in sort of the banter and, and general flow of in-person relationships, that got pushed to my personal life. So I had more time to relax with my wife. We started watching some uh, series on TV. We even took some lunch breaks and we'll watch an episode of 24. And and I know that show wasn't popular for what, 15, 20 years ago, but we never saw it. So we're sitting there watching episodes on our lunch breaks. And, and, you know, when I'm actually off work, you know, I'm off work a little earlier because I was able to just go downstairs and get things done. It was really beneficial to me. I think the negative impact for me was more so just missing the person-to-person contact. 
Uh, I'm very much a people person and I enjoy networking and connecting. So there was a, a little bit of, I would say, even a light depression in not being able to have that element of myself. But there was also all those benefits. And for me personally, the benefits outweighed the negative. Yeah, Zach, I, um, I'm i so glad you mentioned the depression piece because the mental health toll that it took on all of us, really, so many of us um, during the pandemic, not necessarily just because of remote work, certainly real. Um, but like Zach, I took away a lot from this episode. I would say a resounding point that was mentioned by at least three of our, our guest speakers, Shauna Hawking, Natalie Peterson, Chairwoman Burroughs, was just the disproportionate impact the pandemic had on women and the idea that women were opting into uh, remote work more than any other demographic. And this notion that sort of women have this second shift where you work all day in a full-time job and then you come home and then tend to have to be the caregiver that makes dinner, the person that makes dinner. You know, I think that as a woman myself, I... Um, I don't have children, but I do, it's sort of like pulled on my heartstrings a bit because I'm very much like proud to be a woman. And I think that when I think of the struggles that other women face and the fact that it did disproportionately affect so many of us, that resonated with me, especially for women of color. And I think another thing that I took away from this, and we'll talk about this later on, our expert on the Q&A episode actually talked about this idea of boundaries and almost that remote work has led to a removal of boundaries because, you know, your kitchen is your office. And I think that's so important. I was just having a conversation with someone the other day about boundaries. And I think that sort of blurring the lines has had negative impacts for a lot of us. But, you know, there have been so many positive things to come out of remote work for so many of us, including myself. And so, you know, the takeaway from this episode is similar to Zach's point. This impacted all of us so differently. But at the same time, there are these underlying commonalities that we all share. And it all sort of points to the fact that there are some great benefits from remote work. And it's just interesting because we heard employers for so long saying, no, you can't do this job from home. And then suddenly you had to, and it magically worked. I loved hearing everybody's experiences that might be the same or different than mine. Um, So yeah, what about you, Darylise? What were your thoughts on the episode? I think for me, one of the things that was really beautiful that I continue to think about is a willingness to be flexible and dynamic in organizations, because I think I had the illusion coming into these interviews that either it was remote work or it was in the office, you know? And for me, I think my bias sort of shines through in the reporting, but just this idea that it's possible to have more hybrid experiences and the idea that it's possible possible for organizations to collaboratively work with their employees, both as individuals and as a collective to look at like, well, what is best going to serve this person? What is their work style? You know, what are their unique needs? What is the position kind of require from them? And then what kind of teamwork does serve this office, this organization, and then really creating these flexible and dynamic workplace environments and accommodations. I I don't think I really thought that way coming into this. And I think it's something that I'm going to continue to think deeply about because I'm a person who 
thrives from individual work and also thrives from collaboration. And there's different times when I'm available for either and different times when I am more productive, you know, brainstorming in groups and different times when I really just kind of need to be left alone to do my own thing. And just on a personal level, it was really impactful. And I think also as an entrepreneur who has a small team, it's really impactful for like, how do I bring these solutions to my team, knowing that each of us works differently. And then like what is going to serve the organization and being willing to take a more flexible perspective is really, I think, impactful for me. And I hope for some of the listeners, it it helps them to think about not having a cookie cutter model, but really being creative and strategic. So yeah, I wanted to ask, Azaria, I know you took some notes and took some quotes. So would you mind just sharing like one or two quotes that really stood out from the episode and then maybe we can chat about it? Yeah, actually. So one quote that stood out to me was from Munir. And that was that many large companies are learning that they can save a lot of money in real estate. And so, you you know, we focus on the benefit of the employee, but I was happy to hear a few people reference the benefit that remote work has on the employer. And that piece on how much you spend to rent out office spaces and sort of this idea that at one point we had to be in the office to do our work, but now that we can take our work home and whatnot, you just have these office spaces sitting empty. And so I'm glad that companies are starting to see the value on their end. And aside from that, like, let's just say that happier employees and healthier, mentally healthier employees are a huge benefit for an employer. So, you know, if employees are finding happiness and um, greater sense of fulfillment through working from home, I think that is also a positive benefit for the employer. But that real estate piece just kind of stood out to me because you don't necessarily hear that a lot in the conversation, but that is real, right? Like down to dollars and pennies, right? Like we need to be thinking about, are we wasting money now on this building that the electricity, all of the above, when we could be, you know, supporting maybe a hybrid approach, or we could just encourage people that want to work from home to work from home, right? So I thought that was an interesting point. And just in general, um, Sabrina Valpone had pointed out that a lot of marginalized groups have reported positive outcomes of remote work because of less microaggressions. And I think that that is such an important point to talk about. So personally, I consider myself an introvert. It sort of depends on the day, but a lot of my energy comes from my time with myself. So I find value in that when I get to work from home. But also as a woman of color, I have experienced microaggressions and it is really something that, you know, there's this term called weathering. And when you're around people all the time and you're experiencing so many instances of microaggressions, discrimination, it weathers on a person, on their mental health, on their ability to show up and be productive. And so being able to remove yourself from that and work in a space that feels safe for you, be it your home, a cafe, and not having to deal with that constant daily weathering, because for some people it is daily. I think that that's a beautiful thing with remote work. And I think that obviously we need to talk about why that's happening in the first place, but ultimately that that's something that I can relate to because I do personally feel like I'm experiencing less microaggressions, less awkward social experiences that as an introvert sometimes make me very uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, I, those were a couple points that really stood out to me. 
thank you so much too, for being willing to share about the personal element for you. And because the identity, like in all things, right, identities play a significant role in our experience. They shape not just the viability of who gets to do remote work. I mean, the the data points for that were really staggering when I started doing some of the research and looked at like just what identities tended to even have the option of remote work, but also some of the reasons why remote work is beneficial, I think can be very different for people of different identities. Like it may be for one person, it's a time-saving measure, but it might be for another person that it's like psychological safety, right? And so really taking those things seriously, I think is so important. We're going to talk about this later on in the season when we talk about people who parent and work and caregivers and women are tend to be more impacted by this. But something that was really, I don't know what to make of this, but that some women, it seemed like working from home or some caregivers, it seemed like working from home allowed them to feel like they were showing up more effectively for both their parenting responsibilities and their work responsibilities. And for some, working from home was just so unsustainable. And I think because it correlated with the onset of a global pandemic, a lot of people were both having to do their jobs and having to be teachers suddenly, you know, having to be educators. And so I'm just curious, what do you all make of the fact that a lot of women exited the workforce in droves at a time when there was this transition to remote work? I think it's interesting because I sort of laugh and think back to what was life like before remote work was more accepted as it is today, right? Like how specifically women that are caregivers, I mean, Leora Eisenstadt, the director of the center has three kids and she is active in research and she runs the center. And I'm constantly amazed by all the different directions she's being pulled in, but the ability for her to get on a Zoom call during our one-on-one while she's waiting in the car pickup line for the kids has been so helpful, right? Like, We wouldn't have that meeting if she had to be in person because she has all these other responsibilities. And we talk about caregiving in sort of a general sense, but it oftentimes gets pulled towards the the parenting side of caregiving. But um, for instance, and I'll talk about this in a different episode, but my sister has a disability and she it's a physical disability that doesn't impact her cognitive ability, but physically she requires caregiving and she lives with my mom and she has caregivers that come to our house. But there are some times where like because of weather, traffic, whatever, the caregiver can't be there. And so, you know, my mom has appreciated having that security and knowing that if something happens, she's working from home that day. So God forbid, she'll be able to be there for my sister. But with caregiving for someone who has a condition like my sister's, it isn't just the occasional like check-in. It's constant making sure that she, you know, is positioned correctly, making sure that she can swallow and physical needs that require constant up and down the stairs for my mom's office. And so with something like that, I haven't really had this conversation with my mom and I probably should, but I'm curious of my mom's experience with remote work because her being at home, she still has to constantly be vigilant of her work responsibilities, but also if my sister's caregiver isn't there, she also has to step in quite a bit to do that. And so I can see how people who have caregiving responsibilities to that extent might not feel as positively about remote work, right? Because now they have to be 
actively doing two different jobs at the same time. Kind of piggybacking on that, remote work also varies based on the type of work that you do. For me, being a consultant and not being in the corporate space anymore, first off, I'm in full control of my schedule. But now with the whole element of me having to take care of a parent, I found remote work to be very convenient, mainly because I can make my own schedule. And I had to take literally days, sometimes weeks off from being in any set area and really being either at a hospital or at her assisted living facility. And I was still able to get what I had to get done on the personal side for work. If I were still in a corporate position, even though remote work would have given me some flexibility, I don't know if it would have given me as much time as I did need to do what I had to do for my mother. So A, I benefited from remote work, but also the compounded element of being an entrepreneur, which again, for some entrepreneurs, that switch is on the other side. There's so much more work that they have to do. Being remote makes it more difficult in some cases to execute, uh, especially if you're relying on different vendors from different places. There's so many pluses and minuses to it. It really all depends on your scenario and what you know is going on in your life and in your workspace. But again, for, for me, being someone who does take care of an elder, it was very beneficial for me to have that ability to take a Zoom call from the conference room inside of her assisted living facility versus having to be physically in an office or, or at my house. That was such a good point, Zach. And I just also wanted to add, it's so funny looking at where we're at now, sort of in post-pandemic. I don't know if it's even technically post-pandemic, but having gotten more accustomed to the realities of remote work, hybrid work, compared to the beginning, where me personally, and I know a lot of my peers were so nervous to admit to how convenient remote work had been. Like I was nervous to say that, yeah, you know, I went to the grocery store during lunch and that was really helpful to getting my my daily needs met, right? Like it it cut back the time I would have to take away from later in the evening like typically. And I think that a lot of people were nervous to admit that working from home allows me to do things that I can't do in the office, but if I'm still getting my work done, I hope my boss isn't judging that, right? Like, I hope I'm not being judged in a negative manner because I am going grocery shopping or whatever it might be. And I think it's now become more acceptable as long as you're getting your work done. But yeah, I mean, that ability to put down the computer for a moment and run and do something, walk my dog even, like that has been monumental to me. And I think that I'm glad that we're finally at a place where people can realize there are a lot of values to this and it's okay to talk about them because in all honesty, we're probably all grateful that we can sort of have some of that level of freedom if we do get to work remotely. Thank you for that, Azaria. So Darylise, was there anything that didn't make it into the episode that you had wanted to include? Yeah. You know, I wish we'd had like another full hour (laughs) to do that because I probably would have wanted to look at people that don't have the option to remote work or people who remote work is perhaps, I want to say, I don't know the right phrasing, but like non-conventional or maybe not corporate. And so what I mean by that is looking at more of gig workers or looking at people involved in the sex work industry or people involved in doing work where perhaps some of the 
remoteness of it might put them at a higher risk. I would have wanted to look at that and then also look at people who did have to show up day in and day out, you know, factory workers, et cetera, who really were making sure that those of us that can work from home and do work from home were getting our biological needs met. I mean, as area, you mentioned the grocery store, but like people that went into work each and every day and were interfacing with consumers, maybe differently, maybe somewhat modified, but I would have wanted to look at the other side of it, like those that were not able to remote work or their remote work was perhaps like higher stakes or put them at greater risk at a time when many others were doing remote work or like, you know, people who work in hospitals, et cetera. I was actually one of those people at the beginning of the pandemic. So I can certainly attest to that experience. Oh, do tell. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So I've only been in Philadelphia for two years now, officially, and working at Temple for one of those years. But prior to my move to Philadelphia, I am from Seattle, Washington. I had just finished up undergrad. And during undergrad, I was working at a well-known grocery store And when I moved from Seattle, as soon as I graduated to Philadelphia, I just transferred my grocery store job. So Seattle is actually the first city that COVID appeared in, in the United States um, on record. So I experienced that while working at that grocery store and then transferring to a grocery store, the same chain, but in Philadelphia and working for a decent amount of months before getting a corporate job. It was terrible. (laughs) And I honestly take my hat off to people who have had to work it consistently through these last two something years. I don't even know how long it's been now because no one was checking in on our mental health and no one was. you, You heard these nice little moments where people were like, take your hat off to the essential workers. But that was it. And then you would come in and sort of get crabby with us if we were out of toilet paper. And these are all things that we have no control over, right? So it was a hard time. And I seriously, like, those are the unsung heroes because so many people still have to work in those those industries that don't, that remote work isn't possible. And to sit here and watch the rest of the world sort of talking about how amazing this is, but knowing that you are not afforded that opportunity. And then specifically people who work in retail, I feel like they get treated pretty badly by customers who have a sense of entitlement or maybe just are dealing with their own stresses because of the pandemic, but come in and need someone to almost take it out on. And here's this person that's bagging my groceries. And there's this awkward period of time where we're standing there. And so it's more face-to-face contact and gives opens up the doors for awkward interactions, rude interactions, and that's draining. I mean, a lot of my peers, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, we were there were arguments with customers, there were people crying at work. I mean, it was it was really hard and that's something you might not have seen if you're working in corporate America. So, I can certainly attest to how that <laughs> impacted some of us. So thank you so much for that, Azaria. Now, you know, you two, I feel like this would be a great time to insert our expert voice. Just as we've done in previous seasons, we're featuring a subject matter expert who will answer our listener calling questions on the subject and share more about why this topic matters to them and why we should be all invested in learning more and creating greater equity. Yeah, I'm so 
blessed and grateful I had the opportunity to sit down with Elizabeth Taylor, who is an assistant professor in the Sport and Recreation Management Department and has been with Temple since 2017 after completing her doctoral studies at the University of Tennessee. Elizabeth, who uh, goes by Liz, also currently serves as the undergraduate program coordinator for the Sport and Recreation Management Department. And her work broadly centers on diversity and inclusion within the sport industry, specifically as it relates to gender discrimination, homophobia, sexual harassment, and sexual assault education and harassment of female faculty members. And she's done a lot of research on remote work and examining the organizational culture within intercollegiate athletic departments and various industries as they relate to the work-family-life interface. Her work looks at work addiction and engagement and burnout. And so this was a really beautiful one-on-one sit-down interview where I had the opportunity to bring Liz our call-in and written-in listener questions. And I know Azaria and Zach, you both have heard that, but we'll play that for listeners now. And then the three of us will resume. Demystify diversity, making work safe for you and me. Shoulder to shoulder we embark, invite the light to send the dark. Let's embrace one another, single colleagues, working mothers, people of all points of view. Can we see each other? So Liz, I would love, I mean, since we spoke last time, it's been a while and I know that your job and requirements and working from home and life situation has changed. So can you talk a little bit about like where you are now in this present moment, what you're doing, the work that you're doing and where you're doing it from? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me back. Um, Since we spoke last, I had a baby, I had a daughter um, in June. And so I am currently working from home pretty much full time. I'm not teaching this semester. Um, Temple has a really great work-life balance policy. So I was able to take some time off this summer, check out of my email. And now I'm back at work, but not full time. I'm not teaching. So I get to work from home. And I'm, you know, the primary caregiver for my daughter. So when she's awake, we hang out, we go on walks, we go visit her dad. Um, He is a swim coach at Swarthmore College. So we get to adventure together. And then when she naps, I work. So I am pretty much fully remote right now, doing a lot of research and administrative duties for my undergrad program coordinator duty. So with the work that I do, I live it too. So I use a lot of the principles that we've talked about last time that we'll talk about today to try to keep all the balls in the air, wear all the hats, do all that sort of stuff. Thank you so much. And I love that you said all the work that you do, you live it. And I'm just so curious, like how has the knowledge that you had going into parenting and working from home How do you think that's helped you to kind of prevent against burnout and to juggle the life as a person who's working remotely? And then what are some of the things that you maybe know, and yet it's hard to implement or hard to integrate them into your life? Yeah, this work has really made me question my overwork tendencies. So for example, thinking about working during paternity, maternity, parental leave, right? Thinking about like 
Should I have an away message up right now? Or is it okay if I answer this email? You know, maybe it's 3 a.m. and I'm up with a, you know, newborn baby. Is that okay that I'm kind of engaging in um, those sorts of overwork tendencies or questioning, why isn't this person in the office today? Why isn't this person in the office every day? Um, so it's kind of helped me understand that everyone's work style is different. And as industries and organizations, we have to embrace those differences because when we do that, that's when we allow our employees to be the happiest, to be the healthiest and the most efficient. So, you know, the work that we've done, the research that I've done has just allowed me to, I think, see work from a new perspective and, and understand, you know, pre-COVID, I was very much, I have to work in the office. I cannot work from home. And then COVID hit and I was forced to work from home. And I really started to embrace it. And a lot of what I think we'll talk about today is just me sharing some of what I found works for me, what I have found works for folks through my research. But, you know, I have my own little space in our house, in our spare bedroom, and that's that's my office. And it's been a really positive experience for me trying to implement things that I've learned through the work that I've done. Well, and I love that. And yeah, I, I definitely want to talk more about what you have found in your research and then what works for you, because I think there are principles and then there's the personalization of those principles. So can you talk broad strokes, like what is helpful in terms of remote work? And we do talk about this some on the main episode, but I think it's beautiful to really crystallize that in a more concentrated fashion and talk about like, yeah, what are some broad principles that work for people? And then specifically, how do you implement those principles in your life? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing thinking about organizations that want to offer the opportunity for employees to work remotely, either part time or full time, they have to support their employees in doing this. So it can't just be a free for all, right? Go work from home, figure it out yourself. They have to really work with their employees to implement uh, how to make working from home or working remotely successful. So I'll give you an example. My sister-in-law recently took a new job. She works fully remote and her organization sent her a desktop computer with two monitors. So they understand that having the right fit, and I put that in quotes because right is different for everyone. It's very personal, but the right workspace is critical for an employee's success. So what she wanted was two monitors because she felt like she would be more productive in that type of a workspace. So the organization has to support employees in in offering whatever supplies are needed. Maybe it's a specific chair that they want. Maybe it's a stand-up desk. Maybe it's a dual screen monitor, right? And then the worker, the employee has to create a space that's their own, that's dedicated to their work and to their job. It doesn't have to be fancy, right? Mine is a small desk that I got off of Amazon. It was like $50 in our spare bedroom, but it's a spot where I can go and I can shut the door and have a meeting without having to hear my kids playing downstairs or hear my kids crying or, you know, whatever it is that's going on in the house when I'm trying to, to work remotely. So that's a big thing that organizations have to offer these supports for their employees to create a space that's all their own dedicated to their work. These past few years have really illuminated how important it is to care for our health. 
The place where I go for all my health and wellness supplements is Vita Supreme. Vita Supreme uses all organic ingredients and has a wide range of supplement options that can help with immune support, heart health, energy, mental health, pain relief, sleep, anti-aging, digestion, diabetes, and more. Their products have helped me reduce joint pain and increase vibrancy. And if you read their online testimonials, you'll find glowing endorsements from their customers who at every age and stage of life are feeling better than ever. Vita Supreme believes that health radiates from the inside out, and I can tell you from personal experience that their supplements have made a positive difference in my life. To receive 10% off your first order, go to vitasupreme.com pages diversity. Your discount will be applied at checkout. There's no code required. Also, as a special offer with your first order, you can receive a free 15-minute coaching session with one of their wellness experts to find out more about what you can do to improve your health and your habits. Just send your name and preferred contact information to support at vitasupreme.com. Once again, to get 10% off your first order, go to vitasupreme.com slash pages slash diversity. And to receive your free coaching session, email support at vitasupreme.com and tell them the Demystifying Diversity podcast sent you. Through innovative and dynamic educational initiatives, Temple University's Fox School of Business provides students with real-world, local, and global business opportunities. At the Fox School of Business, you can choose from a wide range of undergraduate, graduate, certificate, and continuing educational programs. Whatever your academic and professional path, you'll learn practical strategies for workplace success at a university that is committed to encouraging and respecting diversity in all forms and perspectives. The Fox School of Business, which includes the Center for Ethics, Diversity, and Workplace Culture, has built an inclusive, welcoming environment where everyone is emboldened to reach their full potential. So if you want to be in a learning environment that will empower you to cultivate your capacity for empathy and profitability, go to fox.temple.edu slash DDP for more on how you can learn from world-class DEI-focused faculty and become an inclusive leader in the workplace. So if you want to be in a learning environment that will empower you to cultivate your capacity for empathy and profitability, go to fox.temple.edu slash ddp for more on how you can learn from world-class DEI-focused faculty and become an inclusive leader in the workforce. With options for students and professionals at every stage of life, including undergraduate, graduate, certificate, and continuing educational programs, the Fox School of Business has something just right for you. So make sure to check out fox.temple.edu slash ddp to learn more. We talk about this a little bit in the main episode, but Liz, some industries I think allow for the possibility of remote work. Others don't tend to do it as well. Some jobs tend to be more amenable. Some types of employees and personalities tend to do better in a remote work environment. So how do organizations kind of ensure that they're meeting the needs of the employees? And then how do organizations also get their own business objectives met within that? And remote work isn't going to be possible in every organization or every industry or every profession, right? So industries like 
dentistry, childcare, for instance, those are going to be in-person jobs. Now, obviously, um, if a dentist is working on charting or something like that, they could do that probably from the comfort of their own home. Or if a childcare worker is entering information from the day, right, updating what did the kids eat? When did they go to the bathroom? That can probably be done um, from home. But there are some industries where you're going to have to be in person for, you know, 95 to 100 percent of your work. Um, but there are a lot of industries where we can cycle in days at home or go fully remote. And for it was an industry that was very slow to accept the ability, the opportunity for employees to work remotely. It really wasn't until COVID hit and they were forced to work from home that they really started to embrace this. And so you do, you have to think about what are the personalities of your employees? Where do they work best? But then also you have to allow time for folks to connect. So while the majority of your work may be remote, you might have meetings like this on Zoom or on other platforms, but you also have to allow employees to have time to connect with their colleagues outside of just work meetings. So for example, an organization could do a virtual happy hour where they send you know, drinks or snacks to folks and then they can log into a Zoom call from four to five. So working remotely can feel lonely, and disconnected. So you have to provide these opportunities to connect if you want your employees to feel a part of the organization, not just like you're having them work from nine to five, and then they log out and they never get to know their colleagues and that sort of thing. And that's great for some people. But largely, folks, they still do want to feel connected to their workplace, to their boss, to their colleagues, all sorts of things like that. Does the why people are working from home matter or change anything? Because I know that you shared about, and this is something that came up in one of our episodes where we would talk about being an employee by day and a parent by day and night. And sometimes if people are working from home because, let's say, of a paternity leave or a maternity leave or parental leave or taking care of a of an older relative or, you know, someone with medical needs, or if an employee has a disability or something like that, did those things shape people's experiences and how they're met by their coworkers and employers? What have you found in your research? Absolutely. So I think that's a really important note within all of this is as we see more industries shift to remote work, there are numerous reasons why employees want to work for those types of organizations, right? I think from an organizational standpoint, companies are finding, oh, I don't have to pay $20,000 a month to rent this office space. That's a cost-saving measure that they're engaging in, right? From the other perspective, employees are saying, okay, I don't have to commute 30, 40, 50 miles into the city or out of the city. Um, and that's a time-saving um, opportunity for them. But like you also mentioned, there are a lot of hats that employees are wearing outside of whatever it is that they are, IT professional, customer service representative, right? So thinking about the ability to um, work from home and also parent part-time. You know, I think I've been doing this for about four months with my daughter now, and she's so chill. I could continue to do this, I think, for a while with her. My son, on the other hand, he's almost three and he's wild. So I can maybe get five minutes of work done while he's here. And then we got to go do something else. We got to go outside. We got to play. So even within a family, situations are going to be different based on the which child it is. Or like you said, care for an elderly parent or family member. So 
what we're finding is that differences between families based on that care that they have to give is really important. And so it's both a positive and a negative though, right? They don't maybe have to pay for as much childcare. They don't have to cut their schedule short to get home and, and pick their kids up from daycare. But at the same time, they're having to kind of continuously work. That boundary between work and home life is really blurred for folks who work at home and also parent while they're at home or provide care for someone while they're at home. So again, positives and negatives, and a lot of it organizations are just going to have to continue to work with their employees to really figure out what is the best setup for this employee, for that employee, for our employees as a whole, and what sorts of supports can we offer to them. How can individuals within an organization support one another? Like, how can we be allies to our colleagues when our colleagues aren't in a shared physical location all the time? I think the biggest thing is grace and understanding that unique experiences are going to lead to different work styles. So if you don't have care for children or care for parents or care for pets, right? Um, If you don't have anyone or anything that's relying on you, perhaps you want to bang out your work and you want to do a traditional nine to five. And so you're only answering emails in that time frame. But you work with someone who has a child in the home that they're caring for. And so their replies to your email might come at 9 a.m. They might come at 5 p.m. They might come at 2 a.m., right? It really depends. And so offering up that grace, and I think something that technology has unfortunately created is this idea um, that communication needs to be instantaneous. If I send you an email, if I send you a text message, you need to get back to me immediately. I know I was like that before I had kids. I would send a message and I would be like, why is this person not getting back to me? What are they doing? You know, even on the weekend, I was replying very quickly. And then I had kids and I became that person who read the email, read the text message. In my mind, I replied to you. I answered your question. But then three days passes and I'm like, well, why hasn't this person gotten back to me? And I go back to the email and I'm like, because I never replied to them. That's why they haven't gotten back to me. So I think affording our colleagues grace and understanding that everyone's workday is going to look different is a really, really great place to start. And thinking about that from a management perspective, when you're creating teams, when you're assigning tasks, when you're doing things like that, what is the time frame? Is it time sensitive? Has that been communicated? Have you potentially taken other duties off of this employee's plate so that they can get this work done? Or I think something that really happens in the sport industry is you get a promotion but they don't take anything off your plate. So you just get more and more duties added to your plate and there becomes a point where something has to give. You can't possibly get done all of the work um, that's on your to-do list and it becomes unmanageable for employees. So they start to get burned out. I so appreciate you sharing about that. I'm sort of a self-proclaimed workaholic. I work a lot and I've been doing my best lately to take one full day off a month, which I know might sound like nothing, but for someone like me who didn't take a day off in probably about five years, (laughs) that was a lot to take a full day off every month and to not reply on weekends immediately. But one thing that I found is because I had no boundaries between my personal and professional life for such a long time, 
is that I think I set up a set of expectations in other people where I would be immediately available and accessible to them. And if I go more than like a few hours without answering certain people's emails that are work-related, they'll email me back on a weekend and just be like, oh, hey, I know I sent you this yesterday, but what do you think about this? And I'm like, it's Sunday and you emailed me (laughs) Saturday. So like, how do you recommend that people who are maybe becoming more aware of the need to prevent burnout in themselves? How do we start to assert boundaries and to start to take some of that grace back for ourselves? Yeah, that's a really great question that I haven't figured out yet because I also am a self-proclaimed workaholic, um, as is my husband. And so I have a lot of admiration for a couple of my colleagues who have started to put clauses in their email in their email signature. And so I have one colleague who has a clause that says something to the effect of my working hours may be different than your working hours. So please don't feel pressure to reply to this email until you are in work mode. With her, she feels like she's really giving people grace to say, okay, I had this thought at 9 p.m. on a Friday night. I needed to get this out to you so that you have this information before it leaves my brain completely. But if you don't reply until 10 a.m. on Monday morning, that's fine. You know, we work at different time periods. I have another colleague who he puts in his syllabus that he checks email from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. So if you email him on the weekend or you email him after 5 p.m., he's not going to get back to you until the next day. So in that way, he's giving himself grace and setting an expectation with specifically students to say, you might need something right now, but you know what, what's that saying that says, uh, poor planning on your part doesn't mean it's an emergency on my part, right? And so if someone doesn't have all their ducks in a row and you have an assignment that's due at midnight and they're emailing you at 11.30, you're SOL. You gotta wait till the next day. So I think two separate ideas, right? One is allowing other people grace, one is affording yourself grace, but just putting it out there and really communicating with people what your expectations are and what their expectations should be, I think can go a long way. I love that. Thank you so much. And speaking of communicating with people, Liz, we had some call-in listener questions and we also had some questions that were emailed into us. And so I'd love to just take a moment to kind of answer the specific questions that our listeners have. So I'm going to start with a question from Gary from New Orleans. And Gary writes in, many articles and news stories tout the pros and cons of remote work in today's culture. Is there empirical evidence that is for or against? Yes. So I can give you an example specifically from college athletics. So we collected data in November 2019, right pre-COVID. And we asked about workaholic tendencies. We asked about burnout. And then we asked about levels of work-family conflict. Once COVID hit, we were like, this is an amazing opportunity to collect this data again and ask about these same concepts. So we sent the survey out to folks who had responded to our first survey request and did the exact same measures. So we have pre-COVID data and then during COVID data. It was June 2020 when we collected the second round of data. And we have about 1,100 folks who replied to both surveys. So what we were able to find from our 
pre-COVID and then during COVID data collection is that employees reported a number of benefits associated with working remotely, including a significant decrease in negative work family spillover. And negative work family spillover um, is really just a fancy way of saying that your work takes away from your family. So they were seeing decreased levels of work taking away from, from their family. However, specific subpopulations, those with children, reported higher levels of negative family work conflict or negative family work spillover. So what they were seeing is that their family was potentially getting in the way of their work. So think um, during COVID when schools were shut down, a parent sitting at a kitchen table trying to do their work while also trying to do first and third grade, right, with their kids. Um, we also found that workaholism was higher after the move to remote work. So again, thinking about um, the removal of those boundaries, the physical boundaries between work and home, where you go into your office, right, that's your workspace, you leave your office in your home, that's your home space. So a lot of what we talk about in our article is um, the removal of these boundaries created the opportunity for people to work 24-7. They could uh, not stop what they were doing because they could work from their kitchen table, from their couch, from their bedroom. But uh, levels of burnout stayed the same. So there was no impact on burnout. So one thing that this tells us is that the impacts of work spilling into your family time, they were decreased, which is a huge positive. Right. And then the reverse can be increased, but also that there's not a relationship with burnout, which probably suggests that burnout has a lot to do with the boundaries that we set and maintain, right? Like as, as employees, whether we're working or at home or just as people, I guess, like in our personal lives as well. Right. So employees were in theory, we didn't specifically ask, you know, are you working more hours? But the increase in workaholic tendencies suggests that people were working more hours, but it wasn't leading to burnout probably because they didn't have those boundaries. They could work whenever it was convenient for them, right? On a Saturday, on a Sunday, take a Monday off so you can do school with your kids or, you know, whatever that might be. So they were working more hours. They had higher workaholic tendencies, but that wasn't leading to burnout in the same way that previous research has suggested workaholism leads to burnout. That is so fascinating. You know, we have a question from Paul in Oakland, California, who writes, as we know, remote work exploded during the height of the pandemic. During that same time, the economy boomed. Given the current economic uncertainty our country is facing, do you foresee remote work disappearing across the board if companies react to a down economy? Yeah, so with this, I think organizations are going to start really focusing on cost-saving measures. And one thing, and I know I mentioned this before, a huge cost-saving measure for a lot of these huge corporations is the space where their offices are, where their factories are. And so if they can save literally thousands of dollars a month by not having to pay rent on those bases, I think that'll be a start to seeing organizations really shift from in-person 
to remote work. Now they may have smaller facilities. Um, this is something that the Pac-12 conference, athletic conference is doing. So they are moving their conference office to 100% remote, but they have a small office space um, where folks can go if they want to hold in-person meetings. So it's something where if maybe you have people, clients in from out of town and you want to get together um, and you don't want to do it in someone's basement or at a coffee shop or something like that, you can go to this office space, but it's saving them thousands of dollars a month because they were previously located in San Francisco, a, a spot where rent is really, really high. And so they're able to save money that way. Another, I think, benefit of remote work is it's what employees want. We are seeing it across uh, multiple industries, higher ed, for example, we're really seeing it in higher ed where our staff, you know, whether it's marketing and communications, whether it's student services, so academic advisors, um, internship supervisors, that sort of thing, they're getting offered opportunities to work fully remote for the same or potentially more money than they have in higher ed. And they are leaving in record high numbers. They love what they do. They love getting to work with the students. They love getting to work with the faculty, but they're saying, I can make more money and I can work in my pajamas five days a week. Yeah, I'm going to do that. And so I don't think remote work is going away, um, especially because it seems like that's what employees want is the freedom to work remotely. And you know what comes with that? the ability to travel, the ability to move. So the Pac-12, what they're asking is just that their employees work in specific time zones so that when they meet, they are in a time zone that's only potentially one hour different or the same so that it doesn't lead to, okay, I want to meet at 9 a.m., but 9 a.m. your time is 5 a.m. my time and, you know, that sort of thing. So it just allows for a ton of flexibility. And that's really where I see the future of work going. I mean, that sounds so cool because I've heard about like hybrid work or or remote work or in-person work, but this idea of like time zone specific <laughs> employment, I think is like pretty, I don't know, that's pretty radical. I'm going to have to think about that quite a lot. Liz, we have a couple of call-in questions. The first one is from Nika. Hi, this is Nika. My question is, is there evidence that shows whether starting a business remotely or in a shared workspace with colleagues? is more advantageous or not. Thank you. Full transparency, I don't know that there has been a ton of research on this, um, just because remote work is a relatively new concept. And so I think we're not quite there yet in terms of if we have evidence of uh, what would be more successful. I would say it would depend on the nature of the business. Um, so we're seeing all sorts of little businesses pop up, right? Think like Etsy shops um, and that sort of thing. So if you're doing something where maybe you are the sole entrepreneur and you're offering a good or a service that you can easily create in your home, I think that's something that we won't necessarily see those popping up in shared workspaces, having a, a physical storefront. Now, if you are uh, doing something that's a larger production where you're going to have multiple employees, there may be some benefit in having a shared workspace where you can all come together, at least through the beginning of the organization while you're setting up the mission um, and doing all those things that are really critical to the foundation of the organization. But in terms of research, we don't really have a lot of information on that just yet. 
My personal experience as someone who started a business and used to be an independent versus now like having a team, one of the things that was really valuable for me was getting to know my team members. And I think we do have some people who work remotely. We all kind of work in our own places, but a couple of us are in Philadelphia, one's in Ohio, one person's in Massachusetts. And I will say that it helps that we've had a lot of FaceTime, whether that's been virtual or in person. It's just one case. It's just my experience. It's not really, there's no scientific data to back it up. But I would say that there's a level of cohesion, team cohesion that has come from developing relationships that exist outside of just getting together to work that supports the work. So it's interesting. Like It's like, how do you keep that interpersonal dynamic while also giving people the freedom and the flexibility to do what they need to do in ways that serve them as whole people, not just as employees. Absolutely. And I know a lot of organizations that do offer fully remote opportunities will have, you know, maybe it's once a year, maybe it's once a quarter or something like that, where everyone gets together. Maybe you have folks fly in, or maybe it's an organization where everyone is fairly centrally located around a larger city, they just don't have to commute into the city as they previously would, right? Again, thinking about connecting and creating community and doing that sorts of thing. There's lots of opportunities. You just have to find the right fit for your organization based on your goals, based on your mission, based on the goods and services that you're providing. Oh, I love that. Well, let's move to the last question, which is Ray's question. I'd love to hear what Ray has to say and what you have to say in response. Hi, my name is Ray and I'm from Pittsburgh. The question I had is, is there a difference in the efficacy of remote work versus co-working or other non-traditional working setups? Thank you. So thinking about the experiences of employees, and I know I mentioned this at the beginning, but one thing that we do know is that industries that are heavy in overwork, so thinking about things like a lot of overtime, late nights, required travel, um, we see it a lot in college athletics, which is the industry that I research. We see it a lot in medicine, a lot in law, especially medicine through COVID. We know that that leads to burnout. And we know that that leads to high rates of turnover. I recently worked on a piece with a colleague um, where we looked at turnover rates in college athletics, and we found that the rates were about double that of similar industries. So huge rates of turnover. And one thing to think about is if you want to retain your employees, we have to create a relationship where employees are happy and they're healthy. And so those industries that have been reluctant to offer opportunities for remote work, for flex time, those industries that don't encourage employees to take their vacation typically see the highest rates of turnover. And so one plug for industries offering this remote work opportunity is it allows employees to to be happier, to be healthier, and then they're more efficient and less likely to leave the industry. And thinking about what does it mean, high rates of turnover, what that means is that the industry just then has to replace those employees. And so that means higher costs in terms of hiring and retraining employees. So what we have seen specifically within college athletics is organizations that offer flex time, remote work opportunities, they're retaining more employees than athletic departments that have a hard, nope, you have to be in the office every day. This culture of presenteeism is what we call it. They are not keeping their employees as much as other organizations are. 
I think that's so powerful and it has so many implications for diversity in the workspace as well. I mean, if you think about if presenteeism is a requirement of employment, that means that a lot of people who have responsibilities as caregivers might not be eligible for the same roles because they're just not going to be able to work the same hours. You know, individuals with disabilities or perhaps sensory needs or those who might, for social or emotional reasons, do a little bit better having some downtime built into the structure of their day or for introverts such as myself who, you know, like don't always love being amidst and amongst a lot of people. I find it to be a drain on my energy and a a detriment to my productivity. And so I just think that if workplaces are hoping to retain diverse talent across gender and identity and ability, et cetera, it's nice to have more options. I think more options allow for the retention of employees and also the retention of diversity amongst and amidst employees. Yeah. And to your point, a lot of recent work has suggested that employees, specifically women and folks of color, they prefer the remote work opportunity because it allows them to not have to engage as much in problematic cultures. So uh, organizations that have a history of discrimination, sexism, racism, all of these organizational issues, if you don't have to go into the office and be around a harasser or be around someone who is vocally racist, it then allows you to exist in a space where you can be happier and be healthier because you're not having to put up with that on a day-to-day basis. Now, that doesn't take into consideration the larger issue with these problematic cultures, with these, you know, racist organizations, with these sexist organizations, but it does allow employees to remove themselves from that situation and not have to engage with that harassing behavior on a day-to-day basis, which may allow them to work at these organizations and just not engage with those cultures. I love that you brought that up. I also love that I feel like this is also a teaser for the other episode that you're in, which is hashtag me too. Um, really speaking about the pervasive culture of abuse that exists in American workplaces. And one thing though, that just occurred to me in this moment is that some home environments or some remote environments are actually problematic for people where there are people who don't want to be remote because perhaps going into an office or going into a job where they feel wanted and welcomed can be a place of respite when their home lives aren't that great. So I just, I think it's important to acknowledge that things can be very nuanced. Absolutely. And that was something that we saw when schools went remote, right? Is there were a number of children whose safe haven was school, their ability to have a meal, their ability to get away from an abusive caregiver. And and when schools went fully remote, there was a lot of conversations about dangers to to children. So you're exactly right that sometimes going into a workspace, leaving your home spaces is the only opportunity for folks to get away from an abuser or to um, be in a place where they feel wanted, be in a place where they feel safe. Hey, listeners, Zach here. Dare Lisa and I are so grateful you've tuned in to season three of the Demystifying Diversity podcast. You probably know by now that we've partnered with Temple University's Fox School of Business to bring you this special season dedicated to DEI in the workplace. With that in mind, we ask that you send us your work-related DEI questions by calling 844-888-8148 
just leave a message with your question or send us a note through our website, www.demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com. As always, we'll be joined by some amazing guest experts and thought leaders who can also weigh in on whatever questions you have. Again, the number is 844-888-8148 or message us through our website, demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com. Who knows, your voice or your question may just make it into one of our Q&A episodes. Happy listening. Liz, is there anything that I haven't asked you? Because I feel like we could talk for hours about this and still, I would still have more questions, but is there anything I didn't ask you about that you would want to share that you think is really important for folks to know? Yeah, I think something that's especially important for managers, leaders, um, and organizations to understand is that remote work isn't an overnight fix for a poor culture. It takes time and it takes money to shift an organization from an in-person to a remote work setting. Um, You have to talk to your employees, hire a consultant, put in the work necessary to make these positive changes, and then support your employees through the process. I think a lot of times organizations are looking for a quick fix. And so they tell people, yeah, sure, work from home. And then don't give them the supports necessary. And then they're like, but you're not doing anything. You're not working. You're not, you know, all these questions that they have to their employees about, are you actually working? If you had taken your time, if you'd done your homework, if you talked to your employees, hired a consultant, put together a plan to move from in-person to remote work, there wouldn't be this question of, are my employees actually working? And I think a bigger question is, if they're getting their work done, does it matter when they're doing it, right? Back to that culture of presenteeism. If your big thing is seeing your employees face every day to ensure that they're working, you need to take a step back and think about the culture that you're creating as a leader, as a manager in your organization and figure out if it's actually a healthy one. And if uh, maybe that's why your turnover levels are high within your organization. Oh my gosh, that is so powerful. And I know you are working remotely and focusing on work-life balance at this moment and hopefully for forever. But if there's anyone listening to this who wants to get in contact with you or learn more about the work that you're doing, how can they either get in touch with you or get in touch with some of your work and your research? please feel free to reach out over social media. I'm most active on Twitter. Um, It's at E-L-T-A-Y-2-4 or send me an email, just elizabeth.taylor at temple.edu. I'm always happy to to share recent work. Um, One thing that we find with our published research, it's very hard to get a hold of it. If you're not employed at a university, I'm happy to download it and share it with you. I'm happy to work with you and find a way to create a more positive workplace culture within your organization, or if you just want to read 40 pages of statistical jargon for fun, I'm happy to share it for that purpose as well. Oh my gosh. I love that. I bet there will be some people who take you up on that. Statistical jargon is over my head, but that's like, right. Speaks to the elements of diversity. There are some people that are going to hear what you're saying and be like, oh my gosh, I want to know more about the research and the methodology, et cetera. And there are some people who are like, Ooh, this impacted me emotionally. And I think there's space for all of those reactions. So that's awesome. And speaking of space for multiple things, you know, you've shared a little bit about why you do this work, but I'd love to know, like, why should others really be invested in making workplace environments more tailored to the specific needs of employees and organizations and, you know, incorporating remote work into that. So I think creating happy, healthy, and efficient employees is the recipe for a successful organization. 
unhappy, overworked, burned out employees are less likely to stay at a job or stay in an industry. And like I mentioned, turnover leads to increased costs to hire and train employees. So the future of work in many industries is a remote work setting or a hybrid work setting. And if organizations don't embrace that, they're going to lose their best employees. That's what's happening right now in a lot of college athletic departments. We're calling it a brain drain where people are saying, this isn't for me, this overworked climate, um, these feelings of burnout, these feelings of um, anxiety, depression, all those sorts of things, worry with low paying jobs. It's not for me and I'm gonna leave and I'm gonna go to another industry and we don't want that. We don't wanna lose the best employees, the most creative employees, right? We just need to find a better environment for them to work in. And that is very individualistic and organizations and leaders have to embrace that. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Liz. This was incredible. Thank you everyone who's listening. And yeah, I'm just so, so grateful that you could lend your voice to the conversation again in an even deeper way. Thank you so much for having me back. Can we move forward differently to foster greater equity? Even if we don't always understand fairness, we can and should demand. Let's embrace one another, single colleagues, working mothers, people of all points of view. Can we see each other through? Wasn't that incredible? I really, I just felt like Liz was such a rich source of information and I so appreciated the opportunity to do a deep dive with one person who's deeply studied these issues. And so, yeah, I mean, what did you all think of that? Yeah, I I thought she had some uh, amazing insights and and gems that she dropped. I mean, uh, one of the main takeaways I got was the importance of communication and understanding. You know, a lot of folks in this space, especially those in leadership roles, kind of don't know what they don't know, and they need to be educated. And the acceptance of being educated, especially from an employee or someone else, you know, I, I've noticed in my past uh, professional career that that's not always something that higher ups enjoy or receive well. And I think this remote workspace kind of forces you to have to have those conversations. And uh, it's always great when leadership does understand and can make adjustments because it's kind of a new space for everybody, right? So I think that was great. One of the main things that I'm, I'm actually doing right now based on that episode uh, was she mentioned something about having clauses in your signature and being able to put something in your signature that lets people know about this remote workspace and the, the pressure or lack thereof towards responding when you might have a scenario where, again, you're working from home, you have personal things going on as well. Let's take the pressure off you feeling that even though I sent you this email at 9 p.m. because that's the way my work home schedule goes. You don't have to respond at that time. Respond when you're in work mode. I know you're at home, but you have home mode, work mode, and I want to respect that. And sometimes when you get information or emails, especially if they're from higher ups, pressure is like, oh, wow, they sent this at one in the morning. I'm up. I I guess I have to respond. You know, you, you don't have to. And knowing that you don't have that pressure on you is really beneficial. So little tidbits like that that she said really resonated with me. And I hope folks take some of those lessons and, and utilize them for themselves. I agree, Zach. I mean, um, the boundaries piece just keeps sort of coming to the surface for me because 
you know, what I took from the discussion with Liz is that not only should we be setting up healthy boundaries for ourselves, but we should be respecting the boundaries that other people have set up for themselves. Right. And I think, you know, sometimes we can sort of just think of how something is impacting us. But when we're sending those emails, when we're, uh, you know, moving to get something done, giving people as much time as possible to to get back to us is important because that shows that we're respecting the boundaries that those individuals need in order to feel good about the work that they're doing. And I also really enjoyed this, this idea of presenteeism that Liz spoke about. I think that there's this sort of, and I honestly view it as a toxic notion that people have to be physically in the office and you have to be able to put eyes on them in order for you as their leader to feel like, oh, they're doing a good job because we all know someone at some point in our life who has shown up every single day to a physical office space. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're doing the job well and vice versa. So I think that that's sort of this toxic idea that as a society, we need to move away from. And I believe it was Liz who said, if I'm getting the work done and I'm doing it in a timely manner and it's a good product, why does it matter where I'm doing it and the exact minute of the day in which I'm doing it, right? If I'm meeting my deadlines and I'm providing good quality work, that should be enough. I think that's an important takeaway from this. And I also think that she had mentioned allowing folks while encouraging remote work, still allowing folks to connect outside of just work meetings. And it made me think about this example of the I personally experienced uh, my role prior to working at Temple was at a local Philadelphia real estate startup company. And the entire staff were remote workers. And they had this annual holiday party. And the year that I was working there would have been the first year that it was 100% remote. And they were trying to figure out how to do this. And they set up, ultimately, they had this magician who had been comfortable with doing virtual magic tricks. He joined our holiday party. But what was really cool about it was that they mailed each of their employees a little deck of cards to join in on one of the magic tricks, and then also a little recipe to make a specific cocktail. So if you wanted to make the cocktail, you could all sort of have this sense of camaraderie by knowing, hey, we're all sipping on the same drink. And we all have this deck of cards and we can all participate. And I think it's efforts like that from employers that really show, hey, we value having this community, but we also can acknowledge that community doesn't have to mean we're in the office. We can still make community work in a multitude of ways. So I appreciated that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. And I love the spirit of innovation behind that. Hey listeners, Zach James here, partner and marketing manager of the Demystifying Diversity Podcast, and I wanted to share with you some of the great things we're doing in the DEI space. Since the beginning of 2020, myself, Darylise, and our DEI team have facilitated numerous corporate trainings, engaging workshops, one-on-one coaching sessions, and so much more, both virtual and in person. To find out how you can work with us, whether you are an individual or representing an organization, school, corporation, or any other type of group seeking diversity, equity, and inclusion education, head over to DemystifyingDiversityPodcast.com backslash DEI services to send us a message or to fill out our DEI survey. Darylise is a DEI subject matter expert, having interviewed over 300 people, 
becoming a TEDx speaker, as well as the author of Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity. Together, we can help you up-level your DEI skills to improve your productivity, profitability, and interpersonal relationships. So connect with us at demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com backslash DEI services and get yourself a copy of Darylise's book, Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity. And don't forget the workbook too. Happy learning. Azaria, when you spoke about toxic culture and then gave that counter example of how to sort of build culture and community in innovative ways. And then Zach, when you shared about adding a, an away message in your email signature, it seems like both of you are looking at tangible actions that can be taken, whether by organizations or on a personal level. And I'm just curious, what are you hoping our listeners might do differently after listening to the previous episode and then this episode as well? I think the the main thing I'm hoping is that they take their communication to a higher level, you know, letting those who they work with understand their situation. And uh, I think that will increase the ability to be productive. You know, I think you even mentioned that earlier as area of that feeling of not wanting to admit that, hey, I'm going to do XYZ personally on my lunch break. I used to be ashamed of letting folks know that balance or that flow of my day. When realistically, that flow is what keeps me mentally stable and sane and the ability to to be comfortable in this remote workspace. And I've now become comfortable with communicating that to others. So if you reach out and you want something, I don't have a problem saying, well, I'm actually outside cutting the grass right now, even though it's 10 o'clock on a Tuesday. But this is going to allow me to do more work later on in the day when typically I would have pushed that task over to. So I just think keeping open lines of communication, clearly you don't have to let uh, folks know all of your business, but I think that heightened level of communication just makes you have less stress and, and a better working relationship with the folks who, you know, you are, you know, having deliverables for doing work with. Yeah, I think that touches on just having mutual respect for yourself, but then also for those that you work with. And I think that's what it comes down to. I might have a controversial opinion on this, but I actually, from this episode, took away that for those who are in a position, because I understand that not everybody is, but for those who are in a position to change jobs, change departments, I feel like now is the time to do that. If there is anything that I took away from this episode, it is that there are options out there and there are companies that are willing to be agile and adjust to the needs of their employees for the greater good, ultimately. And I think that there are still, you know, in the work that we do at Sedwick, we hear about some of these toxic workplace cultures. And I know that some people, it might be because of fear, it might be just because of comfort, but staying in a role where you're not happy is not something that if you don't, if you don't have to do that, you shouldn't, right? So I think that Finding an organization, finding leaders who support your needs and adjust accordingly. And I think that we heard a lot of that being a need in this episode of leaders have to realize that everybody is coming in with different needs to their organization. And a great leader is somebody who can somehow do a balancing act of meeting majority of those needs in a way that doesn't jeopardize the business, but still uplifts a healthy culture. And so remote work is more than just the ability to work from home. It's really, in my opinion, an enhancer of 
company culture if done right. And I think that people who are looking for jobs, people who who are looking to leave a job in unhealthy workplace, they should be looking for roles that aren't necessarily remote because not everyone wants remote work, but you should be looking for employers who have a commitment to really meeting their employees and their the the overall workplace where they're at. And I think that that is really something I took from this is there are options out there and you don't have to stay where it's not working for you. And you also have the right to respectfully set those boundaries and be clear about what it is that you want out of your employment. But you also have to be willing to receive when leaders tell you, okay, well, for business purposes, this is what meeting you in the middle looks like. And it might not be 100% what you want, but as long as there's that willingness to, to Zach's point, communicate and figure out what those needs are, I think that, that that's the most important piece. Well, follow-up question to that, Azaria, for you, because I know, you know, Zach and I both are our own bosses in many ways. And so, you know, and we have clients, but I think there's a level of agility that comes from being an entrepreneur that comes with its own burdens and pressures. And we'll be talking about those later in the season. But I'm so curious, how have your employers supported you in being able to work from home? And what advice might you have for employees to engage with their employers to even just have those conversations. One of the positive things that came out of the pandemic is that it impacted all of us. So even if I'm talking to my boss, I can almost guarantee that they have somehow experienced, you know, the pandemic and the outcomes of the pandemic in a negative way at some point. Like it has been a stressor on their schedule. They have had to adjust in their own life. So I think there's this joint human experience that we have all gotten to share. Like the pandemic did not care if you were rich, poor, disabled, or not. The pandemic affected all of us. And so I think that the hope is that you are working for a leader who identifies that this is a people issue, that this is something that impacts all of us. And luckily I work for Leora and Temple in general has this flexible approach right now. So I'm two days home and I'm also three days in the office. But something that I enjoy about working for Leora is that we bring our truest, most authentic selves to the table. And sometimes that means her telling me, hey, the babysitter canceled. I have to be home with the kids. And sometimes that means, you know, I don't have kids right now, but I do have a dog who requires a lot of attention. And sometimes I have to get on a call and say, I'm sorry, I was five minutes late. My dog needed to go out to the bathroom. That's that's a real struggle for dog parents. But yeah, I think it's just bringing our, our most human, authentic selves to the table. And hopefully you work in a space where you feel safe to do that because that's an entirely different discussion. And I'm blessed to say that I do work in a space like that. But if you are someone who is grappling with how to have that conversation with your leader that, hey, this current schedule or this current setup isn't working for me, I encourage you to really pinpoint the top most important goals that you you're trying to get out of that discussion and then go into understanding that if you get maybe two of those four goals that's a success as well sometimes we can't get exactly to tv the experience we want right like ideally i would like to be working from home aka on a beach somewhere with like a mimosa <laughs> in my hand but i understand why that's not feasible or appropriate with the mimosa, but (laughs) I think that you have to be able to ask for what you want 
But just as much as you're expecting your employer to be agile and adjust to the times, you as the employee have to give a little, right? It's a give and take relationship between employee and employer. But I think that hopefully you feel safe in having that discussion and just, you know, bringing your most important goals to the table and telling them that this is how I feel I would be a more productive employee in your company. This is what I need. Where can you meet me on that, right? Like where where can we sort of find a happy medium for the both of us where my needs are being met, but you also feel like the business isn't being jeopardized and goals are still being met on the work front. So it's it's not easy and not everyone has that boss that they can have that discussion with. But that's where I go back to if you are that person and you can reconsider where you're at, it might be time to do that. And if not, we've all been there and that's an entirely different discussion. And I'm sorry. Well, there's so much richness to what you said. And I think this whole idea of really kind of honoring our individual needs and then also knowing when to bend and, you know, having boundaries, but also having some transparency and all these things, I think really do lead into this idea of burnout and burnout prevention and work-life balance and how much of ourselves do we give to our jobs and how much of ourselves do we sort of reserve or replenish? And so on a personal level, Zach and Azaria, how do you two navigate your work so you don't get burned out? I am in, in a constant process of trying to navigate that from week to week because my schedule is so unique every other week that I actually have to budget time to take off from work, to have some of that work-life balance so I don't get burnt out. And ironically, I think I'm also a weird breed. It's not only just downtime, but just doing something different kind of restores me. When I go to cut the grass on a Tuesday at 10 a.m., I actually enjoy that. That is like downtime for me. I, I like doing yard work and it breaks up the constant grind of looking at my computer and sending emails and responding to people. So finding those little breaks and kind of installing that in my day to day helps me prevent that burnout. You know, Darylise, I am a night owl. I will work till one in the morning, but I've been forcing myself to kind of have a cutoff switch in the evening. And um, because I can control my own schedule, it's it's possible to do. Again, I'm always about my client. I always like to over deliver and remote work has given me a chance to over deliver even more. And I have to sometimes prevent myself from doing that. So really just building in time to get away from work into my calendar, like literally it'll say, you know, for this half an hour, there's nothing like stop, go, go relax, go do something different. And, and that really prevents me from, from overworking and, and from that burnout effect. Zach, you keep talking about cutting grass and I'm a little jealous because I live in the city. So I just have concrete everywhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, great points. I mean, I will honestly say I'm still trying to figure out how to prevent burnout. I have feels like forever now constantly been a student and a full time employee since pretty much high school. And right now I'm currently in grad school here at Temple at the College of Education while working my job at Fox. So I still feel like I'm just always right at the cusp of like burning out completely, but somehow um, I manage. But I think the way that I manage is by really harnessing the power of no, like a hard no, and having to get to a place where I realize that looking out for myself can be done in a way that is not rude to others, but it's simply that notion of 
I can't help you if I can't help myself. And I tend to want to do a lot for others. But this season that I'm in, I've really had to get comfortable with saying no. I just had um, a peer of mine the other day tell me that they had reached out to me over the weekend. And I had to tell them, I was like, on the weekends, I try not to answer texts that are related to work or school. It just, it's a boundary that I've set up for myself. And they respected that. And it was because of how I delivered the no. I don't think you have to be harsh or mean with it, but I think that by helping yourself, you in turn can be a better employee, a better partner, a better friend. And so I've really been practicing how to say no, but I don't think it's a, I think it's something you have to constantly revisit because seasons will change and you have to figure out how you prevent yourself from burnout season to season. And right now it's just for me saying no and also going to therapy, which is important for me. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing that, Azaria. Darylise, what what about you? How do you prevent burnout? Just transparently, I don't do well with that at all. I think I'm atrocious at preventing burnout. I don't think I have very good work-life balance or structure. It's a constant issue for me where maybe I'll work too much. And then I I often realize in retrospect, like, oh, I went past my boundaries. But I will share that one of the things that I'm very blessed with, I guess, is that when I don't take good care of myself and when I am burnt out, it comes out in self-destructive coping mechanisms. And so because I really value myself and my relationship with myself today, I have had to force myself to not go past what is right or appropriate for me because of the ramifications in my life. You know, if I do go to those self-destructive places, so I'll say that that's been really helpful. And then just recently, like maybe about two weeks ago, I sat down with an index card and I listed out my 10 priorities and anything that is not a priority, I'm saying no to. And anything that gets in the way of those priorities. And I literally, I literally prioritize like, these are the 10 things. This is the top importance. This is the second importance. And when someone reaches out to me, I look at that card and I'm like, is this, you know, is this urgent? Is this important? Is this a relationship that serves my goals? Is this something that is honoring of my values? And I, and it's hard for me to not just say yes to everything and show up for everyone. But I, I kind of have that cheat sheet that has been helpful so far. And I'll say, you know, realizing that I'm a driven person it's an asset, but it's also a liability. And so sometimes the most effortful thing I do is force myself to like just do nothing. And I can't even tell you how hard that is for someone like me. And also I think being a self-employed entrepreneur is part of that, right? Like if I'm not working, I'm not making money. And if, if I'm taking a vacation, like I still have a team to pay. I still have bills that come in. Like I am so responsible, not just for myself, but for the growth of my business and for other people. And so I'm curious how remote work differs for self-employed folks than for folks and those sort of boundaries and burnout, you know, differ from self-employed folks versus folks who work for organizations. And I'd love to know your perspectives on that. So for me, what I've learned kind of during this remote space is sort of how I gain a client is how I can lose a client. And I've realized that during remote work, I've been going a little bit more above and beyond for the folks that I provide services to. 
I'm answering emails at every hour of the night, regardless of when they send it. I'm making myself overly available. And when I realize that that's not a good balance for me, and I try to scale those elements back, I realize that those are the elements that really made them want to stick with me and work with me in the first place. So now when I say, hey, I'm only going to get back to emails between nine and five, they're already used to the service that I provided because I didn't understand what I was doing going into remote work. I figured, oh, I don't have to be up early. So yeah, I can stay up late and get back to this, that, and the other. And they start to expect that and they want that. And then when you need to change because you realize that was unhealthy, now it's like, uh, you know, you're, you're not the most ideal vendor as you were when you were catering to every need at every moment in time. So kind of, I had to learn that process and, and learn that even though I might have more time on my hands, I still have to set those expectations for my clients so that, you know, we have a level set and I can continue to provide great service uh, within these constructs. I think, you know, I definitely went into it like, ah, oh, well, I now have more hours to provide when realistically I have to manage my time better as a remote worker and and really not let myself be taken advantage of because I think just personally, that's who I am. I'm willing to to do more for people, but I have to be smart about how I structure it. And you can go down a slippery slope real quick if you don't. And that also can lead to the burnout uh, that we talked about earlier. So that was a big uh, lesson for myself. Yeah. And you know, something that I, this isn't really a specific question, but I'd love for each of you to weigh in on this is like, you know, we've talked about it a little bit in this episode, we've talked about it in the main episode, but I think privilege, intersectionality and inequity, different issues of identity, right, really complicate the remote work experience for various people and populations. And so I think where someone might have agency, someone else might not, or where someone might have different needs, someone else might have the exact opposite needs. And so I just would love like any thoughts that you all have on privilege and intersectionality and how that relates to this topic. You know, I think a lot about people's socioeconomic statuses and how that impacts how they show up in this remote work land. Prime example, like we have virtual backgrounds, which is nice, but I have been on so many calls with so many individuals that are typically white individuals, older, you can assume just from their titles that they probably make a decent amount of money. And without a virtual background on, they have these beautifully set up offices with this beautiful decor. And I remember at the beginning of the, the pandemic and remote work, certain people were getting grilled for how they were showing up on Zoom calls. Your background is messy. At the previous job that I was at prior to Temple, I was working in talent acquisition. So I was interviewing and hiring people. You had interviews on Zoom. And a lot of the feedback that would come from the interviewers, the hiring managers is, well, look how they showed up with their attire. Look at how they showed up with their backgrounds. And I was always so perplexed by that because it could have been a phenomenal interview in the sense that this person was giving on-point answers. For me as the interviewer, I was impressed by their experience and how they were able to speak to it. But then the hiring manager comes back and says, well, they didn't show up with a tie on or they had mess going on in their background. And that doesn't always relate to socioeconomic status, but we're all sort of products of our environment. And if you were not necessarily exposed to how to present yourself in an interview, how to set up your background to look more professional, that now means that I can discredit you for that. And I think that that is something that has 
sort of stuck with me because if you have a lot of money and you can afford to like set up your background and get the that takes money. You have to sometimes purchase things to make a nice little office space. You could use these virtual backgrounds, but sometimes, you know, that makes you look like you're bald. Like some people don't enjoy (laughs) using (laughs) virtual backgrounds. So then you have to sort of let people into your space. And if you are not someone who um, is conditioned to know how to sort of appear in virtual worlds, then I think that that can be a struggle. And I also think that, you know, if you are caregiving, if you do have kids, I think now it's a bit more acceptable. But originally, people were judging each other on that, like, oh, your kid is screaming in the background. And I think socioeconomic status plays a huge role in it. But then also, something that kept coming to mind in all of our previous points was just intersectionality. Like, this impacts people differently depending on how many layers of intersectionality they have in their identity, which is true about life in general, right? And I think that someone in my sister's position who's a woman of color who also has a physical disability, those are two compounding identities that have drastically changed how she's experienced this this time that we're in compared to even how I've experienced it. And so that intersectionality piece has to be at the forefront of this conversation because it really shapes how we experience the world today. Thank you so much for that comprehensive answer. I think, yeah, Zach, you were like uh, shaking your head that uh, that was uh, that was definitely really thorough and I think informative and beautiful. And for you listening to this at home or in the car or wherever you listen to your podcast, we would love to hear your questions. Love to hear some things that you know you would like for us to explore. So please call us with your diversity-related questions at 844-888-8148, or you can go to demystifyingdiversitypodcast.com, sign up for our newsletter, and write in with your questions. And for anyone who does that, anyone who calls us or writes in or signs up for our newsletter, you will be eligible to win a free copy of the book, Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity. And in each of these Q&A episodes, we will draw the name of a winner of that book, and then we'll reach out to those people offline in order to send them a free signed copy of Demystifying Diversity, Embracing Our Shared Humanity. So Azaria, do you want to do the honors of announcing this Q&A's winner, this episode's winner? Absolutely. So for this episode, we would love to shout out Paul from Oakland, California, who wrote in with a question. Congratulations, Paul. Thank you so much for your question. Uh, And thank you to everyone listening and for your support and your engagement. And this season, of course, make sure you're following us uh, on Instagram, on social media. We're also on LinkedIn. We'll be answering questions uh, through those platforms as well. Uh, And of course, make sure you're always rating and reviewing our podcast. It is so, so helpful to our growth. And again, thank you so much for joining us today. And of course, to uh, the listeners everywhere, uh, all over the world, we are listened to in more than 50 countries. So again, we thank you so much for your continued support. And if you would like to contact today's expert, Liz Taylor, her email is elizabeth.taylor at temple.edu. That's E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H dot T-A-Y-L-O-R at temple.edu. Or you can find her on Twitter and we'll include all of that information in the show's notes. Also, make sure to visit DemystifyingDiversityPodcast.com to subscribe to our newsletter and learn about our DEI trainings, workshops, coaching, consulting, and our other DEI services.
The newsletter is huge. We're doing so much more this season in terms of social engagement. So you can connect with Sedwick and with us at the Demystifying Diversity Podcast. You can get involved and engage, get your employer engaged. Or if you are an employer, hopefully this will support you in creating a more inclusive workplace culture. Every episode of the Mystifying Diversity podcast is written, reported, and produced by Darylise Lyons. With the invaluable assistance of co-collaborator and marketing manager, Zach James, and with Azaria Keys, assistant director of Sedwick, who is a co-producer and coordination consultant for the Demystifying Diversity podcast, assistant producer and editor, Paul Kondo, production and development assistant, Stuart Kreintz, and content editor and creative collaborator, Sunny Taylor. The music you heard is Demystifying Diversity, an original composition, the lyrics of which were written by Darylise Lyons in collaboration with Ramon Beeftink, who also created all the music and performed vocals and instrumentals. Thank you again to our expert, Liz Taylor. Thank you, Zach and Azaria, for being here today. Thank you so much to you listening. This was really great. Join us next week where we'll be talking about brain and body diversity. You won't want to miss it. And in the meantime, let's keep trying to make this a better, more inclusive world.